0: Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website vineyard61.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. As said, we are continuing this series that Steve opened last week. Um, on the seven I am statements that, that Jesus made. Um, and just by first way of introduction, we, the book of John means we're in kind of deep territory here. <laughs> so um, the book of John is one of the four gospels, um, which is similar in many ways to the other three. But what difference about John is that John wrote his gospel a little bit after the other ones. So even though he knew Jesus, he was eyewitness to all the things that were happening on him, he was a disciple of Jesus. Um, as far as we can tell, he waited a little bit longer to write down what happened. Um, and the reason that seemed obvious which hopefully we'll start unpacking today is that he sort of did this thing where he merged the things that happened with much more of an interpretation of what they meant. So, especially getting to these four, and seven, sorry, big I am statements, um, we're talking about some pretty heavy, in a good way, significant stuff. So all that, just to say that um, the last series we did, which was brilliant, about who jesus met was maybe a little bit more about his character mm. um, in many ways these next seven weeks are going to be very much about what he represented um, as the messiah as the promised uh, savior what did he represent <coughs> so it's a nice tag on but again just to say um these next seven are going to be pretty there's some big stuff coming so do like they've said really please um open your hearts and open your minds and ask god to speak to you through so um yeah so we were looking at bread of life that's the first one that Jesus said the first one John records um, and I think sometimes we think in various statements including things like this that maybe Jesus was uh, he just stood up one day and announced like I am the bread of life <laughs> and kind of sat down again um, and maybe he was trying to make a pun or something um, but actually uh, if you want to even though there is um, obviously the particular verse references where he says this is it three times what he's speaking about is something that flows through the entirety of, of John chapter 6. Um, so it's a whole 70 verses. So it's a pretty pretty big thing talking about. So obviously I can't go through all of that, but what I'm going to do is first of all start you off with a narrative of what is happening in this chapter. So we go to the next slide. I've made a nice storyboard. Cool. So this is everything that's happening. So I'm going to run through this. We're going to run through this. Um, uh, so I'm going to two arcs, and then unpack what's going on, and then of turn the lens to us, so what does it mean for us that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So just to start away with the start of John chapter 6, um, there's a picture there of some bread. Um, some of you um, may know the story that Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people, um, plus, 5,000 plus people, um, taking some loads of some fish, and he multiplies them, he does this incredible miracle, that's the start of chapter 6. Um, and then what happens right after that um, is that the people who were there responded, what they wanted to do is they wanted to make him king. They were so impressed and so amazed, and there was something so significant about what Jesus had just done. Uh, John says that they were going to grab him and try and make him king by force. Um, and you might think this is actually what Jesus wanted. He is the king after all. Surely he wanted to become king. But in fact, Jesus runs away. Um, it says he went away. He sort of ran away from all the crowds. So they didn't know where he went. Um, and, he, and then he walks on water which we can't get into but he does that there um, and then you get this amazing part next coming up where, where the people suddenly realise he's missing um, I suppose with 5,000 people that's quite feasible and suddenly he he's missing but they want more of Jesus they still love Jesus they haven't realised he walked away um, and they notice there are two boats that were there and there's one boat that's not there anymore so they sort of go across the lake where they were and they they to find him again and you get this really slightly awkward but amazing scene where they're like, oh Jesus, when did you get here? And it kind of reminds me of those, you know, those people in life who you really like, but there's like a limit. And they're not great at getting signals. And you sort of try and slip away. And then you bump into them like, oh, I didn't know you were coming here. We've got to come together. And you're like, yeah. Um, it's a little bit like that, it feels like, anyway. So it's not that he didn't want to be with the crowd, but it was just like, you know, you guys aren't getting it. You're going to do something I don't want you to do. So he tried to slip away. But they love him so much, they come and find him. So that's the kind of the first arc. So where we get to the first arc, interestingly, is they still love Jesus. They want to make him king after doing his miracle. Um, and they love him so much, they actually go and hunt him down and find him. Um, even though he walked away, they went and found him from across the lake. Um, and then we move slightly on, but this time when Jesus is back with them again, so they found him... He sort of gets more serious this time. And he basically calls them out and calls them a little bit shallow. And he says to them, um, you're only following me because I filled your stomachs. He says, you're only following me because I did that miracle and you want more food. And you want more miracles of that nature. And that's, that, that's not what you should be ha- hunting for. It's not what you should be searching for. You're wasting your time. So suddenly something's changing now. Um, and they start saying, oh, that's an odd thing to say, what, what, should, what kind of bread should we be after? Um, how do we get hold of this bread? And this is where we get this statement. Um, and let's, it's not a statement, there's 35 nearly verses of Jesus talking about this. And he says it three times. And this is where he says, I'm the bread of life. It's me who you need. It's me who you should be hunting down. And then the last bit, um, interestingly again, you might think, um, um, they might think they love this. You might think, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we didn't want that kind of bread. Um, we, yeah, we wanted something more. We were hungry for something more and actually that's not at all what happens you get this amazing verse um, towards the end I think it's verse 63-ish where it says from this point on many of his disciples Mm. turned away and stopped following him Mm. Um, and you know I I said to Viv when I started looking at this passage because I've known that verse before I've never sort of unpacked it I find that fascinating I find that verse amazing that what is it about what Jesus said what is it about what Jesus meant that went from being someone who they wanted to crown king, someone who they'd go across the lake to find, so so desperate to hear him and be with him, to actually not just the people, the crowds, his disciples, the people that had committed to him, actually said, no, actually, this isn't, this isn't the guy we want, this isn't the guy um, that we thought we were following. Um, so it's a pretty crazy arc in all of chapter 6. Um, so, Bear, we're going to kind of unpack it now um, and find out what actually happened between... of Act 1 and Act 2. Something pretty big happened and it's all around um, him saying, I am the bread of life. Um, So we're going to kind of unpack it basically by looking at um, the symbolism of bread. Um, I wanted to put like a pun in for this title, because it turns out there's a (laughs) lot of bread puns. So um, yes, I I text my pun related friends, Sam Raymond, Abby and Adam Latham, and uh, I just thought I'd throw them in there now because they're fun. So, um, I thought I could call this, uh, Jesus turns the be sourdough. No. That's so, a nice no. one. Um, could be Jesus tells them to forget everything they know. No. Uh, uh, Jesus turns their loaf upside down. Um, yes. and then they just get very generic. Muffin lasts forever except Jesus. No. Uh, back to believe it and be saved. Um... None of you understand who I am. There's so many. Jesus cruised his identity. What you did for the yeast of these, you did for me. (laughs) And you shall worship no God other than me. So, so yeah, they just get generic. But I, um, there's so many bread puns. But anyway, I went with the symbolism of bread instead. Um... (laughs) So yeah, there's two, there's two things we're going to quickly look at. Um, one of which is how was bread conceived? So, so bread was um, although obviously we hope we all know what bread is bread has a bit more power in the, in the Jewish mind. So we've got a few scriptures up there which we're going to get into but just to show kind of the things that the, the Bible talks about, the Old Testament talks about around bread. So the first one is um, referring to when the Israelites came out of Egypt from the Exodus when God um, saved them from the Egyptian um, tyranny. Um, when they came out, they were into the wilderness. They were into sort of the desert wilderness. Um, and what God did is providing for them every single day in the morning, there was so-called manna on the ground which they ate. And God provided manna every single day for them for 40 years. And it's kind of one of the biggest miracles um, that are in the Old Testament. Um, and this happens just after that. God speaks to Moses and says, um, let some of the manna be kept throughout your generations. They may see the bread which I fed you um, in the wilderness. So the first thing is, bread already had the symbolism. And not only did it have a regular symbolism in terms of regular food stuff, it had already been associated with the provision of God. Particularly this very big miracle um, in terms of leaving um, the desert. The second one, which is a bit more obscure, but I find super interesting, is um, within the tabernacle, which is where the God's presence was, um, the, the, the law required them to have 12 loaves of bread, and they're called the bread of the presence. Um, interestingly, people aren't constantly sure what it represented, but given its name, the bread of the presence, it was kind of a reminding them of God, that he was with them, and that he will provide for them. Yeah. And the last one, just to, to sort of show how this was still going on at the time when Jesus taught us um, all to pray, he said, give us today our daily bread. So again, you can see, and that was referring back to the man, it was about the daily bread that they had in the desert. So the first thing you can see here is that bread wasn't, it wasn't just a casual metaphor. It wasn't just a useful day-to-day metaphor. He was already speaking into a very powerful symbol of God and his people and God providing for his people. Um, so you, with this part, you can see the first arc. You can see that actually when Jesus did this miracle with uh, feeding the 5,000, they didn't just want to crown him just because of the food itself. It's because they were seeing a connection saying, this is someone from God who is going to repeat the miracles that we've seen in the past. Um, this is someone from God that if we make them king, is going to bring back all those miracles that we saw before. And that's particularly why they wanted it. It was something very, very symbolic. So that sort of explains the first, first act, if you like. So the second one sort of explains the second one. So the second thing which I, it was on the screen but I didn't say it out loud, is that the feeding of the 5,000 happened during Passover. Um, and again, in John's Gospels, he does this thing where he, he very cleverly links uh, things Jesus did with symbolic um, things around the festival all the time. And again, Passover is again around the Exodus, and it was a, um, a memory of the final act that God did to bring his people out of Egypt. Um, and the key thing is they, as part of that, um, at the time they were mandated that every single year you will take, uh, celebrate this using a meal, the Passover meal which you know, Jews still celebrate um, today and celebrate quite recently, in fact. Um, but the key part, and there's a handy arrow there, in case you missed it, is it involves eating bread, and in fact it involves drinking wine as well. And I was thinking about this morning, and I don't know if anyone is isn't a Christian here, but Christians have some really weird language. Um, especially, we talk about blood an awful lot. Um, we talk about drinking blood an awful lot, which is very strange from an outsider's point of view, and we talk about eating Jesus' flesh, and the question is, is, why? And this kind of helps us explain why, because uh, when Jesus was saying this, and this is what one thing he said as part of this, i um, bread of life, he said, very truly I tell you, um, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day So he says it's a part of saying on the bread of life. Because what he's doing is, because it's Passover, they know either they've just had this meal, or they're going to have this meal. And to them, eating bread and drinking wine is a symbolism of remembering what God has done in the past. Um, And what Jesus is saying is, I know know, when you do that meal, that meal is actually now about me. Um, That meal is not um, just remembering what happened in the past, and that meal on itself is actually not relevant anymore. I'm the one now you have to eat. I'm the bread you have to eat. I'm the wine you have to drink. Um, So you can kind of now see how the second act went wrong. Um, What he's calling them out as saying is, you thought this was all simply about me feeding you food, feeding your day-to-day needs, um, repeating something that I've done as God in the past, or that your God has done in the past. But actually, he's doing something much more powerful and much more offensive and saying, actually, all those things were simply pointing to me. All those things that you take so, hold so dearly, all those things that you know to be so powerful about what God's done for you in the past, is actually now all about me. I'm the one you need now. I'm the one you have to eat. I'm the one you have to drink. <coughs> so you can very see um, how that second act happens. And you've got these disciples now who are saying, oh, I, I didn't realise that was what you were about. Um, And you can see how when Jesus was calling out, the the wider group saying, you're only here because you think you can use me. You're only here because I fed you, and you want to be fed again. You don't understand you have a much deeper need, and that God is not about meeting that need primarily. He's about something much deeper and much greater, which is what I'm here about. Um, So what is ultimately Jesus saying in the next slide? So when we think about what is bread of life mean, he's ultimately saying to them I'm your greatest need in life and I'm the ultimate gift of God Yeah. Um, and you can imagine the people, like I said the people at the time were like well I, I, that's not for me actually I thought you were going to do something else, I thought you were going to come right now militarily that's why we wanted to make you king, we wanted you to come and overthrow the Romans right now we wanted you to come and make our lives just better right now um, and if that's not who you are then that's not Someone I want to follow because he's calling them out, saying you've got it all wrong. I'm the greatest need. I'm your greatest priority. I'm the ultimate gift of God. So if that kind of unpacks where we were, I think when I was thinking about this, it's very easy for me to think, well, you know, I'm not like that. I sort of I get, I get that. That's not how I operate with God. But um, as I thought about it, I, in fact, I wasn't quite so sure. So I want to turn the lens on us now and, and see what it means for to take this message forward. So if you go to the next slide, Alex, you can't answer this one. He answered it this morning. Does anyone know what that is on the screen? Closing mm-hmm. the name. Absolutely. Yes, someone over there. That is uh, Maslow's so-called hierarchy of needs. So um, there's a chap in the 1940s uh, called Abraham Maslow, um, interesting name mm-hmm. in the context. Um, and he basically wrote a, well, as well-known as I well get, he wrote quite a well-known psychological theory about human needs and human motivations. And he made this pyramid. And he said that as people, um, we have some basic needs which kind of drive our behaviours. And he says the needs sort of start at the bottom of the pyramid and once we've begun resolving those, we can move up and achieve other things and ultimately sort of get self-fulfillment um, at the end. It starts with food and water and goes through various things. Um, And then he has this quote, went alongside it, saying a musician must make music, an artist must paint, a poet must write if he is to be ultimately at peace with himself or herself. Um, I'm not going into much detail, but just to say this, uh, even though it was written in the 1940s, this theory is still talked about quite a lot because it resonates. Um, It resonates with us being that actually we are quite drawn to some of our base needs for for obvious reasons, but I think it's very easy for us to get very, very preoccupied with them. Um, I think the word hangry gives us enough information to know that's <laughs> definitely true. Um, I think I'm the hangriest person out there. The in Jen's here this evening, so she can confirm five minutes and, and then you know about it. Um, and I just totally, I was really challenged, actually, if I had been around, you know, when Jesus was alive on the earth, doing the miracles, how easy would it have been for me to slip into... As they did, saying, actually, no, Jesus can be very useful to me. I'm going to follow this man because of all the great things he can do for me in my life. Um, And he can help me move up this pyramid. He can actually make me, my life, more comfortable and more easy. Um, And again, I was on the the tube as I was thinking about this. And um, as you do, I was sort of crammed under someone's um, armpit. And he was... um, I'm doing really well, so it's fine. Um... I, I saw the next to this guy and he was um, reading a catalogue of, uh, of, he was a ha- housing estate agent, I think, um, or just really rich. And he was reading a housing <laughs> catalogue and all like really, really expensive houses. And I was saying you know they're really expensive because there are no prices there, um, which means if you're going to ask the price, you can't afford them. And then um, there was one I, I saw and it was like 68 acres and like eight bathrooms and 15 bedrooms <laughs> and the rest of it. And I love the the tagline saying, perfect family home. (laughs) 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 That's a very big family. Um, But what was really interesting is that in that moment, I felt something like rise in me being like, do you know what? It would be really quite nice to have that house one day. Um, And this is totally true. I genuinely was like, maybe I'll just make different career decisions. Maybe I'll make different, me and Jen will make different life decisions because... Do you know what? It would be really nice to put myself on a path where I'm working out this pyramid from bottom up to get a place where I can own one of those, and I can live and have 58 and a half acres of nothing and live in the other half an acre. Um, And it really shocked me. And I was just like, those of you who know me, doesn't sound particularly like me. And I was like, wow, there is a very basic instinct in me just to make my life comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And to want to make decisions that make my life comfortable. And to always err towards the things that are comfortable. Mm. And then really challenged me, saying, if I, again, if I was there with Jesus and had seen him doing these incredible things, would I have fallen into that trap of saying, this is a guy who I can use to get stuff that I want and I need to make my life comfortable. Um, but again, with this lens, as we kind of come into finish, um, what Jesus is saying, I think, you know, to help us frame it, is he's basically flipping this on his head. Um, and here are the words that he says again in this passage. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And what Jesus is saying with this passage to us is saying, which way up is your pyramid? Mm-hmm. What's the most important thing that drives your decisions? What are the most important things that in your day-to-day, where are, which direction are you going in that pyramid? Are you choosing primarily to hunt after the, your basic needs and your comfortable needs? And, and if you can get towards the top, then great. Mm. Or just use this challenge if you want to follow me and what I'm saying to you is I'm your greatest need. I'm flipping this pyramid saying I am your base need. I'm the one you should be focused most on. Letting me fill your need, letting me fill your life. Mm. Um, and if you don't do that, you're going to get nowhere. And you're never going to be satisfied, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. So if we put the two next to each other, um, I think this is the real challenge um, for us, which way up and down is our pyramid. And I was I really was reflecting um, that, I think especially for us as a church, because we do believe and we know that God does do incredible things, and um, miracles and wonders as part of his kingdom, how do we respond to those things? Um... An uh, 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 amazing thing happened to us recently, where we were at Stephen Viv's house, um, and amazing things always happen at their house, mm-hmm. either with their kids or with them. They're quite different things. <laughs> one is games, one is miracles. <laughs> and, um, I'll let you get to way around around. Um, and I won't get into details because it's quite, it's quite personal, but um, we were talking about money. We were talking about life decisions, and how money wasn't necessarily going in that direction. And, um, and we, and we prayed in a particular way some money could, could arrive. And um, two days later, my mum texts me with some information saying, so-and-so wants to give you some money. Um, and like, I've really held that like in my heart for a long time. About It wasn't you know, completely crazy amounts of life-changing money, but it was big enough for me to set up and take notice. It was mm. big enough for me um, to say, all right, God, mm. I take the hint. But the question was, was it just pointing me, am I going to let that point me to him, or am I going to let, let me, myself, take an attitude of, oh, this is awesome, God will just give me money whenever I need it. Yeah. Do I take it as, oh, this is awesome, I can, you know, take that next step and have a much more comfortable life, because I know God's just going to give me stuff to help me achieve what I want to achieve. And I, I know we holding that, and I, I really thought this when I came to this, but so am I going to use it? As a sign of God saying, You know, I've got your back, but only if you follow my paths. If you take the life I've put in you, if you see me as your greatest need, yeah, um, and the way I want you to live my life, then you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the rest of the hierarchy, but you've got to order it all the way around. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to hold on to. So I think that's the challenge that He lays before them. He before them, and that's the truth is, we saw in the scripture, a lot of people didn't like that challenge. A lot of people said, well, actually, you're not the person I'm going to give my life to, I would rather keep my pyramid the other way around and seek after a God or seek after something that's going to give me things from the bottom up. But I think for us the challenge is to think which way around are we going. Um, And I think that's a really tough challenge and I think if there are things in our lives that we know are trying to tip that back the other way then there are things we really have to confront. Are there decisions we know we're making in life where we're ultimately choosing to go on that left hand hierarchy and just make sure those things are sorted um, in our own means from the bottom up. Or are we living our whole lives through the spectrum of what Jesus calls us to and what Jesus being our ultimate need? So that's the challenge, but I'm just going to invite the band up now because we're going to go into communion. And, um, the challenge, the great thing about Christianity, and um, I, uh, I was talking a couple weeks ago to my, to, well, my Jen's uncle, but my uncle-in-law, about Christianity and he is a devout atheist if that's sort of phrase that makes sense, but he's a settled atheist, and um, but he, he knows you know, we're Christian, and he, he likes talking to me about this stuff, and he said to me, there's one thing I do like about kind of Christian philosophy, and I was like, oh, what's that, Harry? Let's start one at a time. <laughs> and, um, and he said, what really like about it is no one's excluded. Like, no one, it doesn't require a certain ethnicity, it doesn't require a certain background, it doesn't require certain behavioural standards, Um, If you want to be a Christian, you can be a Christian. Hmm. And that's the most amazing thing about Jesus' challenge here, is that we're fortunate to live knowing exactly what he was talking about. When he said, I'm the bread of life, and you must eat from me, um, and you must drink of me, we knew what he was talking about. He was talking about his death and resurrection on the cross. And it's that death and resurrection that means even if our pyramid, even if we've never decided to flip our pyramid, then all we've got to do is ask and he'll help us flip it. And if we have decided to flip that pyramid um, and follow him and have fallen back, then that's okay as well. Because he's just like, let's give it another go. Because I've paid the price. I was the greatest need. And as long as you recognise that, then you've got the ultimate gift from me. Very good. So as we take communion, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering both the challenge of saying, if you want to follow Jesus, then he's saying, you have to put me first. You have to say, I'm your greatest need. The forgiveness and the life that comes from me is your greatest need in life, but we're also taking the grace of that, saying it doesn't matter how well or badly we're doing at that. Just come along, because this is where I've made you to be. Afraid. So I'll pray in a minute, and then there's communion at the back, and there's gluten-free on the left. <laughs> um, and how we how we do in here, and I'll pray in a minute, and we'll we'll transition in. Um, rip a piece of bread and then dip it in the the wine um, and then come back and and pray and meditate as you like. So I'm just going to read the words of Jesus (coughs) affirming everything we now know he was saying um, when he said he was the bread of life. So this comes just before his his death and his resurrection he says now as they were eating Jesus took the bread and after blessing it he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you are the bread of life. I thank you that all the wonders and miracles that you pour out on us are all there to point us mm. back to you. Mm. Point us back to you as our king, as our saviour, mm. as our creator, as the source of the life mm. within us. God. The Lord I just pray over anyone this evening who is struggling to feel your goodness. We'll see you your goodness and those miracles in your life. I pray this evening you remind them that in spite of all those things, you're their greatest need and you're right there. And the proof is that you gave your body for it.